From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. This week, we're digging into our stacks of new music and sharing some of our favorites. From Danish-Turkish psych rock band Alton Goon to a Chicago band called Sasquatch Turf War, we've got new music you need to hear. Plus, we'll talk with Peter Lewis, a member of the 1960s psychedelic rock band Moby Grape. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week it's all about new music you need to hear. We call it Buried Treasures. Later in the show, we're going to talk with a member of Moby Grape, a band from the 60s that still could be considered a buried treasure in many ways. It's tragic. But first, we got some new ones for you. These are songs, uh, you and I are listening to a ton of music that we can't get to on the show necessarily. Uh, Stuff that's not not as mainstream as some, some of the stuff we may talk about, but certainly deserving of attention. I want to start with a little band that was uh, formed a couple of years ago by a man named John Phillip from Wisconsin. A long time. He's a lifer, an indie lifer. He's basically spent half his life mm-hmm. in bands, perhaps most famously with Tommy Stinson. John Phillip, primarily known as a drummer, but in this new project that he started called the Mini Meltdowns, he uh, basically plays everything and is also the lead singer and, and main songwriter came out with a single in 2017, started the band with uh, a fellow from Dashboard Confessional and the Promise Ring, uh, Scott Schoenbeck, Mm. and is now back with a new EP that's coming out very shortly. The track I want to play is the single he has just released. It sounds very dire, I Want to Die. John had a tough year, apparently. His his father died in 2018. There was some anxiety involved, obviously, and, and I imagine a lot of that anxiety and sadness is pouring into the song, but not in a self-pitying kind of way. You're gonna, you're gonna get blown away by the oh, yeah. rush of guitar and drums in "I Want to Die" from the mini meltdowns on Sound Opinions.
the mini meltdowns with a new single, I Wanna Die, on Sound Opinions to kick off Buried Treasures. A pure shot of adrenaline, Greg. (laughs) Uh, That is my favorite of your treasures this week. I'm going to take us back to, uh, I think it was an earlier Buried Treasure, almost 10 years ago on Sound Opinions. Founding producer of the show, Jason Saldana, was a mysterious denizen, early mm. pioneer of floating tracks on the Internet, uh, you know, finding stuff out there. And he brought us this cassette-only artist, uh, Clive Tanaka. And uh, there was a, an album that we loved in 2010, Jet Set Siempre, One Degree. Yeah. <laughs> it was that perfect space-age bachelor pad cocktail lounge music with the EDM ethos, and Clive Tanaka then disappeared. Um, Now Clive Tanaka's back, and I first got a a cassette in the mail, no information, right? Mm. If you search Clive Tanaka Isu Orchestra on the web, you will have an impossible time finding anything except for a 2013 uh, story where he sued Nicki Minaj for copyright infringement, uh, claiming her big hit uh, Starships ripped off one of his songs, Noi Chicago. Mm-hmm. That's Noi as in the German art rock band, right? This guy was pushing all our buttons. The new album is fantastic. Allegedly, he is now based in Japan. I'm not sure if any of that is true. I wanted to play a couple of Buried Treasures episodes back, something from the cassette, but uh, the sound was just awful when I dumped cassette onto hard drive. Right Now, the vinyl album showed up, a vinyl album, and I am doing a themed Buried Treasures this week. All of my picks are coming from vinyl. Hard to find on there the web go. to stream, which I suppose sort of defeats the purpose of this show, <laughs> right? But but these are all indie Vinyl releases, lovingly pressed, either DIY or very small labels. It was so much fun to have the turntable out. It gave it a real workout. I had about 15 records had piled up. This is wonderful. This is a track called Popular Lips. I can't tell you anything else about Clive Tanaka because he remains an underground mystery. The album is called Pre-Sunrise Authority on Sound Opinions.
Popular Lips by Clive Tanaka Isu Orchestra. Whoever he is, he's a genius. And every few years, I get a Clive Tanaka album in the mail, and it's great. You know? I, it wasn't on cassette. It's yeah. on vinyl. Yeah, there you go. My next pick is an artist by the name of Jade Jackson, a young songwriter out of Central California. Grew up near uh, Bakersfield, California. Famous for that uh, country sound, that California country sound. Buck Owens, Merle Haggard came out of that region. There's a, a, a tinge of country in, in what Jay Jackson is doing. Her debut came out in 2017. Uh, the new one is called Wilderness. Both albums produced by Mike Ness of uh, Social Distortion fame. Mm. Uh, Ness is uh, famous for uh, bringing together various strands of roots music. You know, uh, best known in the punk scene, but always had a strong uh, country flavor to a lot of his recordings. And I think he's bringing some of that sensibility. I think he found a kindred spirit in in young Jay Jackson uh, to work with uh, on this on this particular record. Uh, the the record that uh, just came out, uh, Wilderness, is very much about this space in between. The first album launched her career, and now she's at that stage where everything is laid out in front of her, and the days ahead are kind of unknown. What's going to happen mm. next? Where are you going to be? The the first song on the record begins, I last thing I remember before things all went black, <laughs> the promise of tomorrow, <laughs> you know? What's it going to be? Here's this track called City Lights from Jay Jackson on Sound Opinions.
That's Jay Jackson, City Lights. A little bit of a Carlene Carter vibe for me on really? that song. I, I'm hearing Courtney Barnett. Yeah? I was yeah. hearing like... That's good, too. I like that. A lot of Courtney Barnett. I've got another pick, Greg. It is from a band called Future Silence. They have a self-titled EP that uh, just came out on an Australian label. I don't know how they wound up uh, putting this vinyl recording mm. out on an Australian label. I think it's cool that they did. Uh, their roots are in uh, Chicago. And it's always nice. You know, you get this package, you get this 12-inch vinyl mailer, and I have a, a note from one of the band members. You wrote a kind review of my old band Star a million years ago. I was like, oh, man, that's, that's it. We, we rarely get things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's nice when you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not playing it because of that. I wouldn't play it if it sucked. No, this is great shoegazer, psychedelic pop uh, with a bit of a post-punk kind of edge to it. You know, you hear a little radio head in there, uh, a little uh, raincoats, mm-hmm. let's say. Future Silence is three women driving the band along with uh, Kirk McMahon on keyboards and guitar. Uh, fantastic stuff. This song is called Kansas Plains by Future Silence. Silence, Kansas Plains. Really cool. Sounds better on mine. It does. Everything <laughs> sounds better on mine. I'm not one of everything those audiophile yeah. snobs, but it really, everything does. If you have a suggestion for new music we need to hear on vinyl or otherwise, call and leave a message on our hotline, 888-859-1800, or reach us on Facebook or Twitter. After a break, Greg and I will dig up some more buried treasures Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and we're going through some of our favorite recent records that haven't gotten as much attention as they should. Our Buried Treasures. Uh, my next Buried Treasure is a uh, band out of, well, this is, I can't say they're a band out of because they are a multi-hyphenate band. Mm. A bunch of uh, Danish musicians were touring in Turkey when they fell in love 
with 70s Turkish psychedelic rock music. <laughs> they said, hey, this is cool, the coolest stuff we've ever heard. They, they love the combination of the ethnic music of Turkey with, the, with, with then fresh-sounding psychedelia. They wanted to do their own version of it uh, in the 2000s. They hooked up with some musicians steeped in that Turkish tradition. Mm. A combination of musicians from the Netherlands, Indonesia, and Turkey a sextet, a co-ed sextet, who are playing this music for the last couple of years. Uh, so we have the traditional folk instruments. We have the zazz player, that sitar-like stringed mm. instrument, adding to the vibe along with synthesizers and modern production technique and, and fuzz guitar riffs, etc. The new album is called Gece, and that's G-E-C-E. I'm sure I'm, my Turkish isn't what it used to be, Jim. I really apologize. <laughs> but the song, I, song title I can pronounce, it's Layla from a band Alton Goon on Sound Opinions. Alton Goon doing their, their version of Turkish psychedelic music uh, on a track called Layla on Sound Opinions. Not to be confused with Derek and the Dominoes, no, Layla. But it is a song of yearning for a woman named Layla, so similarities there. I am uh, still continuing with my vinyl-themed Buried Treasures uh, picks. Uh, this album is called Collapse by a group called Reunion Island. Um, it, it You know, it comes in the mail in one of those vinyl uh, containers. I love it. Uh, no information whatsoever. Uh, but online I have learned that the various members of Reunion Island have uh, roots in Denton, Texas, which is uh, as Turkey is to psychedelic music in some <laughs> corners. Denton is the psychedelic capital of Texas. There's been a great underground scene there 
But the members scattered far and wide. Ashley Cromines, Matt Lear, Brad Loving uh, did some time in Brooklyn, did some time in Chicago, linked up with one John McIntyre of Tortoise. This new record is recorded by McIntyre. You can hear that kind of post-punk Tortoise instrumental approach, but also, you know, there's there's uh, dub reggae, there's there's a kind of minimalist electronic punk in a way. It's very enticing stuff. I uh, I just loved it instantly, and even better on vinyl. The song is called Roka, R-O-K-K-A, by Reunion Island on Sound Opinion. by Reunion Island on Sound Opinions. Greg, you got one more buried treasure pick? I do indeed. I wanted to highlight an artist named Joan Shelley. She's been around for a few years. Uh, What caught my attention about her new release, Like the River Likes the Sea, was that uh, it was co-produced by a musician, a multi-instrumentalist, a brilliant multi-instrumentalist, I might add, by by the name of James Elkington, hmm. a, uh, a British expat who now lives in Chicago and is currently a member of about 700 bands. It's true. And I'm only exaggerating slightly. But he's been working with Shelley lately, and uh, they went to Iceland to uh, make this latest <laughs> record. And Shelley is... Why not? I, I re- it really opened up uh, the music of, of Joan Shelley for me. I think this is their finest record. Um she's basically very much steeped in, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, Kentucky music. I mean, all these strands of folk music from around the world melding there, Irish, British, African even, uh, to name a few that are are, are sort of an influence on the way she writes songs. And the track I'm going to play, just, I I, I love this song. I I think uh, 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 listeners to the show may recall me waxing rhapsodic about Sandy Denny a few weeks ago, yes. just having this phase of Sandy Denny I heard music. That. And here we have Joan Shelley uh, doing sort of a, a modern-day uh, uh, Sandy Denny thing on this track, this, this raga, Indian kind of feel, hypnotic finger-picking, 
beautiful voice, Elkington and a group of musicians in a circle. I can just imagine them in some farmhouse in Iceland <laughs> recording this track. It's Joan Shelley with a track called Coming Down For You on Sound Opinions. I'm coming down for you To where you I'm coming down for you As you always knew I would No one taught you to pull in close When danger was near All your tender parts exposed Out there in the clear Shelley, one of my buried treasures on Sound Opinions, was coming down for you. Why is there a woman in a bikini riding a horse in the water on the cover of that record? <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. Album, Albums, are, images are on my mind because uh, I'm doing the all-vinyl uh, Sound Opinions buried treasures pick. And this 12-inch vinyl piece of brilliance, I actually paid cash money for it a show. Yeah. I so liked the set by Sasquatch Turf War, a trio from Chicago, in the doom stoner rock oh, yeah. vein, uh, mostly instrumental, mm-hmm. like this city's great post-punk bands. Uh, a little bit every once in a while, somebody will shout something, but that's about it. Mostly <laughs> instrumental, but but with a sort of post-punk sensibility as befits a recording made at Electrical Audio, Steve Albini's uh, studio, but, but uh, it was Greg Norman engineered this. Um, and these guys do not look. They look more like they should be members of Tortoise, right? Mm-hmm. You know, felt relatively clean cut. They just came from a 12-hour shift. They're no nonsense. They don't look like your ad- average, you know, stoner rock guy who crawled out of a basement with a bong. Uh, but, God, it's ferocious. Black Sabbath, Sleep, Electric Wizard, all the regular hallmarks of that sound that you and I love – but, uh, you know, with the instrumental sensibility of, you know, Chicago circa 1990, I, I think it's fantastic. And, and on vinyl, 
Finally, mm-hmm. uh, I should buy you a copy. Of that. And, and also, you know, you've got the face in red of a furious Sasquatch on the 12-inch vinyl. That's why I've been thinking about album covers. This song is called The Conversation Piece by Sasquatch Turf War on Sound Opinions. That is Sasquatch Turf War, the conversation piece. Jim, you had me at doom metal. I know, um, I know. know. I'm, I'm sold already. Okay? You, you need to see these guys because <laughs> I know what you go for, and you would be banging your head. Excellent. I saw them at the Liars Club last, and uh, I said, you know, they, they didn't have change. Right, it was fifteen dollars for the vinyl, which is expensive because <laughs> most bands sell it for ten. And I was like, I was so lusting after that vinyl. I said, twenty, keep the change. But worth every penny. All worth right. every penny. All right. Now, that's it for our buried treasures, but if you've got an album flying under the radar that everyone should hear, let us know. Give us a call at 888-859-1800 or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. Coming up, we're going to talk with a man who was a member of a buried treasure group of the past, Peter Lewis of the San Francisco band Moby Grape. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Diragatis, and it's time to talk about a band that uh, 50 years after its debut album sadly remains a buried treasure for many music fans, Moby Grape. You couldn't be more right, uh, Greg. Moby Grape uh, came out of the late 60s San Francisco psychedelic music scene, that explosion of creativity emanating from the hate ashbury much of it overrated moby grape simply overlooked mm-hmm. the group had a lot going for it at first but then it seemed that everything that could go wrong did Never doubting, always she returned. before we get to that however 
What made this band special? Skip Spence, one of its founders, had been the drummer of the Jefferson Airplane. But in Moby Grape, he was playing guitar, writing songs, and singing. In fact, all of the members of this band, Moby Grape, wrote songs and sang. And you had three guitars, Jerry Miller, Peter Lewis, and Spence, along with bassist Bob Mosley and drummer Don Stevenson. Again, all five of them writing and singing lead vocals at different points. Their debut self-titled album with contributions from all of those guys came out in May 1967, the beginning of the Summer of Love. Now, to me, it's uh, one of the best psychedelic rock albums of the 60s, of that era, of no, the no Summer of Love. No two ways about it, yeah. And it's just loaded with great songs. Uh, when it came out, it they released five singles on the same day. <laughs> this is where things started to go wrong. That's a lot of overkill. Uh, when we recently spoke with uh, guitarist Peter Lewis, I started by asking him if that was the band's idea or the record label. That was all contrived by uh, Columbia Records. But we were just really trying to make this music. It takes a long time sometimes for musicians, especially to find the right chemistry we found that and so we were really totally focused on just playing music but the idea for putting out five singles at once was a marketing scheme that Clive Davis thought of We went along with it, for sure. But I don't think it was the smartest way to market us in those days, because we were really just part of a bigger organism of San Francisco music in general. And that was supposed to be more about presiding over these tribal events up there at the Fillmore in Avalon, or in free concerts at the park, where people just came and made music and went through some kind of catharsis together after a few hours or a couple days even. I think the record companies saw the business end of it and how we were supposed to be so good that nobody wouldn't like it. It just kind of backfired. The irony of that self-titled 1967 debut is Omaha's a killer single. I don't know if you ever heard the version that the Golden Palominos did with Michael Stipe of R.E.M. singing. Everybody in that super group loved that band. Yeah, well, we were good. Yeah. It's a brilliant record, and Columbia decides we're going to release five singles all at once because that's how spectacular this band is. And, of course, in 1967, in the Summer of Love, anything that's resonant of hype from the man is going to alienate people. Well, it did. I, I think it did, and yet maybe it, it did work on, on some level, like you say, as far as having a single. Somebody could hear on the radio and they they like it, but we also just had, had five singers. So when you hear Moby Grape... Change up. You could hear two different songs from that same album and it doesn't even sound like the same band mm -hmm. you know yeah
Skip Spence it was one of the members of, of Moby Grape, and he'd already had a little taste of that stardom. He'd been in the Jefferson Airplane. Right. You know how sad it is to be a man alone. Uh, there's a story of you guys sitting and arguing with your manager while this guy with long hair sits in the corner uh, playing his guitar, and that's Neil Young. Uh, you know, Neil Young had, had had experiences with the Springfield, and, and Skip Spence had had experiences with Jefferson Airplane. Nobody's saying, hey, boys, don't let the industry screw you over. Well, yeah, he. Uh, we had a place that we played in Sausalito called The Ark. It was an old ferry boat that was beached, and then they turned it into a rock club, and that was where we hung out and played every night. One afternoon, Neil and Stephen came there, and they had met Skip in L.A. when they were playing at the Whiskey. I think it's time we stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. And they wanted to see Skip's new band because there was a three-guitar band like the Buffalo Springfield, and they heard we were good, so they came up there to hang out with us. And our manager who had been the manager of the Jefferson Airplane, uh, started to get nervous because the Buffalo Springfield were stars. You know, he knew that they were going to go back to L.A. and start talking about this great new band because we had made friends with them. And we had a meeting at this ferry boat upstairs. And Neil was there and listening to this manager try to get us to sign our, our name away to him because he just wanted not to have to call everybody when he got an offer to play someplace. And Neil was just shaking his head. <laughs> and we did. We signed it because uh, I think Skip was helped by this guy, the manager. But then once we signed the rights away, he somehow turned into this tyrant. Didn't come around the band much anymore. And finally ended up putting bands together, calling them Moby Grape and taking them out on the road when we were trying <laughs> to promote our first record. Wow. So right at the first time, the record company screwed you. Your manager is screwing you. It's like, man, that, that could sour a person, Peter, from the joy of making music. And yet here you are. You recently released. It's only your third solo album. But I mean, you never stop caring about music despite the awful things about the business. Well, that that's right. I mean, because the worthy goal to me has become not making money in the music business or becoming a star. It's just playing the music. The business part of it, it can change all that. You know, as Jerry Garcia said, it's, it, the journey is the destination. So mm -hmm. that was what I remember wanting and what I remember other people I played with wanting. But then when you get to a point where you can get people to come and see that because they like watching this, uh, the business shows up and they put you on a record label and then you start selling records for them. You know, that's a different goal. When you get distracted that way, you know, you either become successful at it or, or, or not. And Moby Grape, in the, in the business sense, was not successful. All we had was the music. Talking about the music, Peter, I mean, the record, the Moby Grape debut stands up really well. I mean, you look at that record, you play it now, it, it doesn't sound dated. Come in the morning when the sun is shining Bring me a dream when the sun beams climbing But my head, yeah To light another day for me As you mentioned, you had five singers in the band. You had three guitarists. You had all these songwriters. There didn't appear to be like an alpha. It was like a democracy. And I was thinking that in itself 
was a formula that was not built for longevity. If, if you look at the traditional rock band models, usually one or two alphas and then everybody else in the band. But with you guys, it seemed to be like a true democracy. How did it work that way, especially initially on that record? It just seemed so diverse, and yet you were able to integrate it into this uh, amazing record that still holds up. Yeah. It was just something that happened because everybody wrote songs. Skip had written some songs for the airplane on their first record, and I had written maybe two. I, uh, Jerry Miller and Don Stevenson had written some, and Bob Mosley was writing some like me. He was more like a fledgling songwriter. So in the beginning, it was, like you said, a consortium of songwriters that all liked the way we sounded when we played together. It was more like all for one or one for all where we were uh, helping each other with our music. And, and that just kind of interaction just led to more and more songs. And they just started falling out of the sky. <laughs> you know, we played some of them at our live gigs. And the ones that we got a better reaction from from the audience... We're usually the rock songs, because that's what you get when you're playing live. So we put those on the record. Some of the stuff we did that was more psychedelic never got on those records. And then the, the ones that we recorded for those records were arranged more like pop songs. I did want to ask you about that first record. Number one to me, the, the harmonies, which are very evident to me, like your song, Fall On You. those counterpoint harmonies and no, nothing else quite sounded like that in popular music at that time I don't think and and, and really since and then yeah. the second point I wanted to make that I thought was important about that record was the interplay between three guitar players you all had yeah. very distinctive different styles of music a were those harmonies there from the beginning was it something you had to work out or was it just a natural thing and ditto for the interplay between three really gifted guitar players who had different styles. How did that sort of develop? Was it there right from the start? I think with the guitar thing first, it was more of a staying each out of each other's way. Then Jerry Miller kind of wove all of the music together with his lead lines, and I just sort of played in the, the center, you know, kind of like a, the signature lick, like maybe Keith Richards or somebody. And then uh, Skip played the guitar like a drum with strings because he was a drummer and he had a real percussive way of, of playing it. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you put those three things together and we're not really doing the same thing. If you can play the same note in a bunch of different places, then it can sound bigger. Mm -hmm. And so when we first got together and played, I mean, that was the first thing everybody really liked. The harmonies and, and all that, because everybody sang, everybody wants to sing on every song, you know? Like, <laughs> so we were kind of interested in using our voices like a horn section. Skip was really good at, at arranging those, you know, like so that kind of an ingenious way of approaching the harmony parts. It was easier to do that in the recording session, but 
There were a couple of times when we got it all going on stage, and it was just, uh, you know, the amazing experience to be a part of. You mentioned Skip, and, um, you know, the rock history shorthand, which Greg and I are always questioning, you know, uh, how much of this is accurate, how much of it isn't. Has Skip Spence, uh, you know, puts out this hugely admired, didn't sell a lot, uh, solo album, or in 1969, after leaving Moby Grape. But he's on that short list of artists like Rocky Erickson and uh, Sid Barrett and Brian Wilson, who had some combination of psychedelic overindulgence and uh, schizophrenia, perhaps, or mental illness. I mean, at one point he attacked, what, uh, Don Stevenson in your band with an axe, wound up in Bellevue. We romanticize these stories that are often tragic, and I always just think they're very sad. They're not something to be romanticized, but you knew the man. What's the real story from where you sat? Well, first of all, you you add that kind of ingenuity that that he had was allowed him to write those really good songs, and then you introduce that to uh, LSD, you know, and then I think he was trying some other stuff when we were in New York making our second record. And our wives and families were back here. So we were lonely, I guess. And somehow, when you're lonely, somebody might come to your hotel room after a gig. Some girl, I guess he took off with this one chick after a gig and didn't come back for a few days. And when he came back, he changed from Mr. Love to Mr. Hate. And that's where the fire acts came in. But I was <laughs> I was in California trying to get a different producer for a second record. <laughs> so, so I wasn't actually there. You know, look, having been in the Summer of Love in San Francisco, this magical communal time where, where five people can come together and all five are contributing members and songwriters, you know, it turned dark so quickly, you know, from the idyllic yeah. Summer of Love in 67 to the heroin sweeping through the hate in 68 and people homeless and people dying on the streets. That just had to be a hell of a time to live through, to see the up and what could have been, and then the very bad down, the crash. The unreasoning optimism that I went for, when you know, hearing Bob Dylan to me was like a revelation. The birds, that sort of approach where there was a better day coming. I just wanted to be a part of that. Trying to get back to a point or some kind of reason where the thing that life wasn't just about fighting with each other and, and until one person wins and everybody else loses kind of thing. And so I think with Skip and Rocky Erickson, they were sort of true believers in all that. On some level, I think they saw themselves as messiahs. You add LSD to that, and then this sort of becomes a, an obsession. That girl he took off with in New York, I think, you know, was uh, somebody that was feeding that part of Skip. The ego thing that that he because he could get on an ego trip too, Skip. But I think he knew that 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 was not the path. But somehow things not going as as we thought they would after the first record came out. We didn't become the American Beatles. He started to rethink his whole agenda as this this messiah. I think people were really trying to sort of change the world. And then if he couldn't do it with love, then he could do it with a fire axe, perhaps. <laughs> and then, you know, so fortunately, they wow. they grabbed yeah. him before he did any harm. And he got yeah. and, and then he wrote Orr when he was in Bellevue and then recorded it in Nashville. At that point, he was, he yeah. was gone. Yeah. I mean, the band wasn't keeping track of him anymore. 
But uh, I took Skip down to L.A. from San Francisco to see if we could get him back in the band. And we went in a record store and got both Orr and mm-hmm. Neil's first record and listened to him in a booth. You know, when I heard Orr, the hair on the back of my head stood up because, you know, that this was a guy that I would have been in that place with sucking my thumb, curled up in the fetal position, and yet he took that as an opportunity to sort of document his mm. his life through that part of the 60s and wrote this great album. And it, it was just, when I heard it, it, you know, I just thought this guy had sort of reached the pinnacle of his artistic life with this, you know. This was the statement that he was going to make. Yeah. Well, it stands up, and so does that first Moby Grape record. Peter Lewis, one of the key members of Moby Grape, uh, still going strong. Peter, thank you for coming on Sound Opinions. Hey, you're welcome. Been a real pleasure. Thank you, sir. Let the poor man dream about fortune and fame. The rich only dream about staying the same. That wraps up our conversation with Peter Lewis of Moby Grape. You know, Greg, it's fascinating. Peter's new solo album, The Road to Zion, is easily found streaming on all your favorite streaming sites. But the singles from that first Moby Grape album, the key songs, nowhere to be found. It's still really hard to find that music. It is a buried treasure. What's on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we're going to have a record review roundup. There are a ton of major releases coming out at this time of year. We're going to get to a few of them. It's the fall. You go back to school and there's new records. For more Sound Opinions, listen to the podcast wherever you find such things. The show is produced by Brendan Banaszak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and Andrew Gill. About you. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, uh, this is Bill from Geneva, Illinois, and I was just listening to your uh, show on Quit and Work songs, and by far the, my favorite is from Merle Haggard, Big City. And I'm tired of these dirty old sidewalks. Thank God. Walk off my steady job today. Very few words, very succinct, uh, and basically says, I am out of here on all of this. Just a, just a great, great song. Thanks. Bye. Give me all I've got coming to me. Hello, my name is John. I'm calling from just outside of Boston. I want to let you know I really enjoyed the show about bass lines. That was excellent. A bass line that I really enjoy is, I believe his name is Nate Watt, who uh, played bass with Stevie Wonder. And uh, one particular song is Do I Do. Do I do?
base show is dynamite. You guys have a good one. Thank you. This is Laurel from Tennessee. My favorite bass player is George Porter Jr. from The Meters. He is awesome. I've gotten to see him several times in clubs when I lived in Louisiana. He's the most awesome bass player in the world. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. This is Kathy calling from Raleigh, and I just heard your show about bass players. I am all about the bass. And one bass player I wanted to mention in a band doesn't get a lot of love in rock circles, and that's Duran Duran. I think John Taylor is a really underrated and pretty remarkable bass player. And I think one of the best examples of that is Rio. There's no question about it. The bass, the bass line is very busy, but it's really intricate. It really drives the song forward rhythmically. He's a really percussive bass player. And he's the master of the ghost mode. If you hear that track isolated, it's really remarkable how many sounds he's playing that you don't even really hear, but they're there driving the beat forward. So one of my favorites when it comes to bass. Thanks. Great show. This is Mark from Chicago. My favorite bass part in a song is from a song called Child is Coming. It's on a Paul Katner solo album. He was with Jefferson Airplane. In the last two minutes of the song, Phil Lesh just gets really freaky on his bass. And with feedback, it's a beautiful thing. Hey, thanks a lot. Great show. Keep the work up. Bye. Hello, this is Bill Overton. I grew up in Memphis listening to soul music. My favorite soul is King Curtis playing Memphis Soul Stew. Today's special is Memphis Soul Stew. He just oozes soul. It's the epitome of a Memphis groove, and he just wills the saxophone to do exactly what he wants it to do. Now give me a half a pint. Thank you very much. You guys take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. Now be